Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. We have what was the most popular podcast episode of the Red Light Report, that is, of 2022. For you longtime listeners, you recognize uh, the name Carrie Bennett. She is extremely uh, well-versed and popular in the quantum health field. And I'm not going to go into deep detail about Carrie. I mean, I would I would recommend you go check out that first episode I had with her back in March of last year. But just a quick recap for you proverbial new listeners. Carrie has a BS in biology, MS in nutrition, certifications as a personal trainer, massage therapist, breathing coach, and a faculty member of Quantum Biology Collective. Possibly some new stuff as well Carrie could share with us if anything has changed. But most importantly, Carrie's mission is to teach her clients how to create a healing environment, especially through the quantum health paradigm. And so by applying quantum health strategies involving morning sunlight, which I did get this morning, Carrie, and of course, circadian rhythm, grounding, mitochondrial support, cold therapy, sleep, and intermittent fasting, clients feel powerful healing and lasting benefits. And I'm sure that resonates with most of the people listening. Uh, But without further ado, Carrie, thanks for joining me for a second time on the Red Light Report. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited to chat with you. Yes, likewise. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Uh, But just right off the bat, like I mentioned, it's been about a year and a half since we spoke on, on the podcast here. So what's new with you and what's new in the in the quantum health world? You know, it's it's just cool because more and more people are finding this information and resonating with it. It's like once you understand, oh yeah, light, light would matter. We've evolved with light. It would make sense for me to mind my light environment or earthing and grounding in nature. It's one of those things where um, once people start to resonate with it and apply it, they they don't go back. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, I love that morning light or that morning walk or whatever it might be. So it's just been fun teaching and sharing this information with more and more people, developing more course content around it, more more specific people like course content, more specific to adrenal fatigue, thyroid function. You know, so it's it's really just helping people realize that they can view whatever challenges they have through this lens, and there's a lot of ways to support them. Absolutely. And that's one thing I wanted to mention in the intro, and I guess we can mention now is that Carrie, of course, being being the amazing educator she is, has a a library of quantum health information on her Instagram profile, which is Carrie B Wellness. So I mean, you could spend days just reading through her posts. They're very detailed and, and full of information. And as complex as quantum, the topic of quantum physics or quantum health can be. Carrie breaks it down and makes it relatively easy to understand for the layperson, which I'm sure is you know one of her big missions, especially with the courses and the and the clients she carries. So Carrie, can I assume that we're still under the paradigm of light, water, and magnetism? Have we added anything or taken anything away? No, no, it, light, water, magnetism really encompasses it all. I think I've made strides in magnetism to include things like the heart's magnetic field and HRV and strides in water and um, to really understand the relationship between water and minerals and those various aspects of the body and how that impacts health. Uh, but really, those are the foundations, you know, that Dr. Cruz laid out a long time ago, and uh, we just continue to build on them. Well, let's just kind of go down that path. I, I looked through your 
most recent post, just get a flavor of what you've been teaching. And th there's some pretty interesting things you've been putting out there. So let's just start with light. And for example, one of your posts is that you don't supplement with vitamin D anymore, which seems, I don't want to say out there, but it's like, well, we've been told for a long time to get vitamin D, especially if you're in those northern climates to mitigate those those winter seasons where you don't get a lot of sun. So I'm kind of curious to hear hear from you. What's the thought process behind not supplementing with vitamin D anymore? Yeah, right. Controversial statement, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> so the reason why is this, right? I have dove into the research and I've also dove into the work of a citizen researcher who has really gone into vitamin D named Jim Stevenson. And um, we have to recognize that what's being measured in routine blood work for vitamin D levels is just one form of vitamin D that the body uses. And that one form is a storage form and we're measuring it as the storage form in the blood. And so what I see then when, if, if you have a savvy practitioner, sometimes they'll also measure one of the active forms. So the storage form is 25D, active is 125D. And um, you'll often see a really, a, a, an interesting relationship there. Active D, a lot of times when people have what would be classically called low vitamin D in their blood work, it's because they're, at, they're, they're using that vitamin D and to convert it to the active form to do stuff, to facilitate immune function, you know, the other, the different gene expression that's needed to help their body in that moment. And so what I've realized is we almost actually, it's, it's like what the old school viewpoint of let's, us, let's make really broad assessments about your thyroid health based on just your TSH. And it's just not the complete pathway. And we don't have ways to necessarily test the complete pathway. And what I realized is that when we do look at the pathway of vitamin D, the synthesis of it is meant to start in the skin. We're meant to have pre-cholesterol and pre-vitamin D in the skin. And that pre-vitamin D then can transform itself to a lot of different metabolites that no one is talking about. Lumisterol, tachosterol, and sterol is just kind of another word for like it has a cholesterol-based backbone, just like vitamin D does. And so we have to view this as we know really, truly very little, except some associations between your storage form of D is low, and there's an association with that happening and inflammatory conditions. And so I'm of the opinion that I really want clients to maximize their endogenous skin-based production of vitamin D all summer, because we have ways to store that in the cells themselves, to obviously to store it in the blood, in the liver. And so just to, uh, to make an assessment on low vitamin D and assume that we need to supplement a lot of it just hasn't really been fruitful from a clinical perspective. The other thing is vitamin D really is a seco steroid hormone. It's a steroid hormone. So when people start to supplement with vitamin D and we're now tall, we're now, I think it's really common sense. I, I, I remember I've been in clinical nutrition long enough, right? To remember when it was such a weird recommendation for someone to, rec to, to supplement 400 IU of vitamin D, right? Of D3 on a daily basis. And now we're talking about supplementing 10,000 to 50,000 IU of this stuff. Um, and so what we have to realize is that that's a steroid hormone. It's like getting a little bit of prednisone, right? Or a Z-pack or something, a bit of a steroid boost. 
it's really anti-inflammatory when, when it's done, when, when you take a little bit of it. So people say, oh gosh, after desupplementation, I started feeling really good. Well, yeah, you would with, with prednisone as well, but there's a whole host of complications that we don't even know the tip of the iceberg with when it comes to potential long-term usage of an exogenous hormone. And one of the connections that I've seen in clinical practice is actually impairing thyroid function. There seems to be a competitive inhibition of vitamin D binding to the thyroid receptor. There's a similar affinity deal to those. So I've seen enough in clinical practice to say, wait a second, I'm, I talk about light anyways. We might as well teach how to maximize D, D production with sunlight. And then in the winter, there is another hormone that I think no one is talking about because it's not getting measured routinely in blood work called melatonin that really does a lot of the protective um, immune supportive pathways that we think vitamin D does only it does it in the winter. And so I teach clients how to maximize melatonin production in the winter, maximize vitamin D production in the summer. And those really go hand in hand to just be overall supportive of, of, of health and lower inflammation levels, better immune function all year round. That was a well-rounded answer, Carrie. That brings up a lot of questions or comments for me. First off, I'm sure you listened to the, the interview of Dr. Jack Cruz there was like five or six hours on the on the Rick Rubin show with Dr. Huberman. Sure. And while you were talking, it just reminded me that Dr. Cruz said multiple times that even people in environments like LA, which is just uber non-native EMF environment, they can supplement with vitamin D, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily moving the needle in a positive direction for their vitamin D. And so that also begs the question, is this world we're living in now with all of this non-native EMFs, does that play a role in supplementation? But I think more so you're speaking to the fact that you don't want to ruin this endogenous production and all these feedback, positive and negative feedback loops, similar to melatonin, like you're saying, right? Yeah, that's exactly it, right? The body has all of these loops, these feedback loops, and there was just never a time in our biological history where we were able to consume 50,000 IU of vitamin D from a food source on a daily basis. It just wasn't a thing. And when we do consume vitamin D from a food source, say cod liver or liver or, or um, eggs or something along those lines, uh, we would have also been consuming the other beautiful balancing cofactors with it, like vitamin A, right? And so we just to think that, I don't know, it's just very reductionist. The current paradigm in health is very reductionist. You are low in this you also have X condition, supplement this, and we're going to hopefully change X condition for the better. And it just, it just doesn't work, right? Especially when we're not controlling for what I consider to be the most fundamental and foundational things to be aware of, which is what's your relationship with light? What's your, what's your ability to like, how hydrated are you? Hydration has been this crazy rabbit hole that I've gone down in, in relation to histamine, in relation to so many different, um, different disease states. I'm convinced that one of the reasons why non-native EMFs are so impactful these days is because it really just dehydrates the body and the body upregulates inflammation in response. So yeah, you know, that's kind of a long-winded answer of, of just saying, I'm not a fan of supplementing at just such high levels, especially for the for years on end, for something that we don't recognize how it's impacting all of those other feedback loops as well. That also begs the question, I guess, especially for people living in northern climates, 
what is the strategy for the quote unquote low vitamin D level person? Like, is there a food strategy? Is there a light strategy? Like, what's your thought process there? Yeah, you know, if you truly are low in vitamin D going into winter, I mean, basically what we should have done, and I hate the word should, I try not to use it at all, but we should, what we should have done going into winter is gotten full body sun exposure or our large solar panels, the back, the legs, the abdomen, those larger areas of the skin, we should have exposed them to maybe 15 or 20 minutes of full body sun exposure most days of the week. Honestly, in that amount of time, you can build up massive amounts of vitamin D. Um, and it's not always going to register in people's blood work. So that's what's fascinating too, because I do have clients test that storage form and say, but I was, I've been, I've been, you know, laying out all summer. Why? Because the body's smart. It only wants so much D in the blood, right? It's only going to want to keep so much in the blood. And so what it's going to do is it's going to store the rest of it in the liver. It's going to store it at the cell in, in the cell. It's going to actually kind of, you, it can actually reverse the vitamin D production and turn it into these other pathways that are also biologically active. One of those pathways is actually biologically active in lower UV light. So when UVB isn't present, you can, it can, there's actually the potential to convert that into vitamin D. So, you know, my thought is let's just get regular sun exposure, recognize that the human body has a, a, a myriad of ways that we're just starting to understand of taking that light and converting it in to the various forms of vitamin D that it needs. And then just similarly in the winter, I'm still going to go outside. I'm still going to expose parts of my skin, maybe not the same laying out naked in the sun, right? But I'm still going to expose parts of my skin to the light and know that my body has a process to handle that. And then come winter, if you really feel like you need to, that's where you're going to consume vitamin D rich foods. That's where I do have a handful of clients who are in very Northern climates who love something like a spurty lamp, a spurty vitamin D lamp, right? They're, they want to make that, that vitamin D through the skin. It feels good to them. Um, but that's by no means the majority of people. The majority of my clients, I say, okay, now we got to talk about melatonin in the winter. Now that we're transitioning into the colder, darker months, this is where you have to be very aware of your artificial light exposure. If you're a red light therapy enthusiast, then you are probably most interested in a full body red light therapy apparatus. And typically that can be accomplished with a panel. And so you stand in front of it and then rotate like a rotisserie chicken. Or like from BioLight, there's the innovative matrix, which is flexible. You can sit on it, you can lay on it, and you can rotate yourself to accomplish a full body treatment session. But have you heard of BioLight's newest, most innovative product to date, the cocoon? You essentially get a red light therapy bed of sorts, but in the comfort of your home. And like the Matrix, it's flexible, so you can easily take it on the go, whereas you're likely not going to pack a red light therapy bed on the go. So whether you're just a red light therapy enthusiast or a physician or someone who owns a med spa that offers red light therapy, this cocoon is something that is a fraction of the price of a red light therapy bed that offers comparable red light therapy specs in the term of the red and near infrared light spectrum, but also the light irradiance is that nice low and slow type of power. Just like from the most popular red light therapy bed, the Novathor, they also have a very low and slow light irradiance. So you're not necessarily losing anything with the cocoon. In fact, it's quite comparable to those red light therapy beds, but again, the convenience of in your home and easy to take on the go. And most importantly, unlike the matrix or unlike a panel, the cocoon lives up to its name 
in the sense you get a full body 360 degree red light therapy treatment. This is the product by BioLite I'm most excited by right now. And as a loyal Red Light Report listener, I'm going to offer you guys an exclusive discount for the cocoon. Simply use coupon code Red Light Report at checkout to save 15% on your purchase of the cocoon. And that's over a $500 savings on this product. And again, if you're someone who's interested in getting the best bang for the buck with red light therapy, the cocoon with its portability, its full body 360 degree treatments every time you get in it, this is the one you want if you're a big time health, wellness, anti-aging, biohacking enthusiast. Use coupon code Red Light Report, 15% off, over $500 savings, and have the cocoon be the metamorphosis of your health. Yeah, those are all great points. And um, that simply speaks to the amazing intelligence of the body, like you're saying, to store what you essentially harvest in the summer and and save it for those darker months in, in the winter. Um, that's amazing. And it just further goes to show why sunscreen is not necessary. I mean, go out in the sunshine responsibly, right? We're not, we're not <laughs> promoting sunburning yourself every day of the week. Store, store the sensible full spectrum sunlight and, and save it for the winter. Supplements. That's kind of where my mind's going. So in general, so we're talking about supplements you can take that would mess with endogenous production, like we're talking about vitamin D, melatonin. And I've heard Jack Cruz say multiple times, or especially recently, that he has found that melatonin supplementation may actually lead to, is it thinning of the retina? Which that alone is frightening, let alone ruining those endogenous, the production of melatonin. Melatonin supplementation is an interesting thing too, right? That's the thing. I never love a broad-based supplementation of something that's a hormone that we can produce. If you make it, maximize what your body makes of it, you know, then there are some small periodic circumstances where then maybe an additional supplementation could be useful. Now, the, 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 the research on melatonin supplementation is vast. And if I encourage anyone who's interested in diving into melatonin and all of its many components to go into the research of Dr. Russell Ryder, he's been I think he has over 1600 publications. It's, it's insane. Um, And he's been a podcast appear. He's been on podcast appearances as well, but just, you know, a brilliant researcher who actually really is a huge proponent of melatonin supplementation. But I listen to his stuff and I say, wait a second, I really feel like people just need a little bit of instruction to maximize what their body makes of melatonin. And their body makes melatonin in two different capacities. They make it in response to perceiving darkness at night. So when we're no longer perceiving the blue light at at night, the pineal gland starts to make it for us. But that's only about 5% of the melatonin that that we're going to make throughout the day. The vast majority of melatonin is made inside of our mitochondria in response to near-infrared light. Think about how many people get beneficial results with red light therapy, right? A a huge amount of that has to do with massively upregulating a pathway, a protective antioxidant pathway inside of the mitochondria and inside of the cells that really, I think, lays dormant for most people. They're not taking advantage of this. And so when when I start to teach people about getting the various forms of near-infrared exposure that, that they can get blocking the artificial light at night, which also preserves vitamin A and vitamin A and vitamin D are connected very tightly, right? When you can do those things, you actually maintain adequate vitamin D status, really significantly increase melatonin uh, to appropriate concentrations so that like 
symptoms just kind of go away, right? Pain goes away, inflammation reduces. And so I just, it's just much more rewarding for me as a clinician to give people those tools than to have them reliant potentially on purchasing a supplement for the rest of their lives to try to try to heal their bodies. 100%. On supplements in general, if they don't have an impact on endogenous production of something, let's say like uh, DHA oil or spirulina or collagen or stuff like that, like are supplements in general, like in the anti-aging spectrum, something you would recommend or even go into? Or are you much more of like, let's rely on nature and, and go there for the foundation and supplements are very much the cherry on top, so to speak? Supplements are always the cherry on top, but I, I would be lying to you if I said I didn't get clients some supplementation potentially throughout their, their journey. Just the goal is getting them off of them though, but it's never a ton. And it's always the last thing I layer on in any session. It's the last thing I'll talk about in any course, you know? So it's like, I'll talk about all my like adrenal fatigue. I'll talk about all of my things. And then finally be like, okay, I know you all want me to talk about adaptogens and supplements. Right. So, so I give caveats and I, I, you know, I also oftentimes ask people, do you know if that supplement is helping you at all? And the vast majority of people say, no, I just take it because so-and-so told me to take it. Or I saw this influencer who said it's good for you. Right. And so if you are taking a supplement that you know, is making a difference in your health and your ability to thrive as a human. You know, I, I really don't take, I don't take that away from people. Um, but let's try to lay the foundation first to see if you even need that supplement in the first place. The one thing that I think people need to be aware of that supplement companies don't control for is a lot of these supplements are made of chemicals and one of the most, uh, even natural chemicals, right? And one of the the most abundant atoms, we're going back to quantum, right? One of the most abundant atoms in the majority of chemicals is hydrogen. And the body requires a very specific uh, type of hydrogen, the protium or the light hydrogen. And supplement companies don't control for that. They'll, they, they're oftentimes, if there's a hydrogen bound, they don't care if it's light hydrogen or deuterium, the, the heavier hydrogen. And that actually can change how our body views it because our body does everything it can to put light hydrogens into the mitochondria, the light version of hydrogen into the backbones of different things like melatonin even. So the body's always looking to just make sure it's the correct version of hydrogen. And when you substitute a deuterium, you can change the resonance of that molecule and you can change its biological activity. And so that's just another thing. It's like, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison in terms of like, for sure, taking exactly what your body is making because no one even thinks about the, the, the deuterium content, which really, really matters. So I pull back. I it's like, get your light, right? Well, let's make sure you're supremely hydrated, right? Let's then throw in other support strategies you might need. I, I go to red light therapy a ton. I go to cold plunges for people. Some clients really need sauna. Um, but those I find to be just more broadly supportive of total health than just, you know, a, a supplement or two. What about any supplement that touts like mitochondrial health? I mean, we're kind of going down a different rabbit hole and I'm kind of beating a dead horse with a supplement thing, I guess. I don't know why. Is there a supplement, Mike, that you're taking that? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, not, I don't, I, mean, I honestly <laughs> don't have anything in mind, but I'm thinking, you know, like that, you know, um, Dr. David Sinclair with the NMN, you know, how that helps with the mitochondrial health and ATP production. Um, 
and stuff but like it's that. all coupled right the okay. the way that we know the way that we get that the nad backbones from nature is coupled to light that's a b vitamin right that's from that's from plants often and so that's a that's coupled to nature and when it's coupled to nature it's contain it's it was grown in a certain solar yield environment that that the electron is holding a certain type of photonic energy that when that gets input into the mitochondria it's going to um, allow for the mitochondria to interpret seasonality of the food and, and adjust reactive oxygen species. I've not seen NMN or NR to be, to, to be biologically or to be, you know, ha- have health benefits in, in, at all, really. I've not heard of one person now. I'm not in that space. I know Dr. Sinclair does a beautiful amount of research and I'm certain he's, he's got his, his method to, to what he, to what he personally does. But you have to recognize that even things like going to sleep and getting adequate sleep helps to recycle NAD. And so we're just really, I think, I don't like to input there. I want to input at the foundational level. And I've just not seen after inputting the foundations, the need to supplement things like NMN or NR. And so, again, this might be a, a rhetorical question, but is is um, the circadian biology like the foundation of everything, because if you don't have that, then your system and your loops and and uh, your health can't thrive, right? Or, or is, I know no, that's kind of a loaded question. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? But like circadian rhythm, normalizing that is absolutely massive. That I'm going to say yes to that. I'm, I'm going to give you a general yes on that, simply because what we need to the body first circadian rhythm dictates everything. And circadian rhythm, when the body has is is um, guessing what time of day it is based on our light environment, it's releasing two key hormones: cortisol surge in the morning and all of the steroid hormones that come with it, and melatonin at night. And it really is the rise and fall of those two curves throughout a twenty-four hour period that dictates whether one has a strong circadian rhythm. Then you could imagine it would dictate things like energy status or, you know, the ability, uh, like how one feels in the morning versus how well one sleeps that night. So maximizing or optimizing those two curves has to be first for the majority of people. Once those two curves are optimized, I mean, the next, it sounds stupid, but the next hanging fruit is, are you hydrated? Because dehydration signals a lot of inflammatory cascades in the body. So there's a lot of different conditions I've seen. Things like really intense things too, like POTS and dysautonomias and um, MCAS and things that really truly are kind of like this constellation of symptoms that are, give, are given a modern name, um, different different you know modern diagnoses. But really, when you have the appropriate amount of water and salt or minerals, if you will, the symptoms go down drastically. And so again, low hanging fruit, why not instead of symptom chase, because immune upregulation due to dehydration could look like a stomach ulcer, brain fog, digestive issues, chronic pain, stiffness. Why not just go ahead and lay a foundation of hydration and, and appropriate mineral status for then everyone to say, okay, now how do I feel? I got my circadian rhythm set. I've got my hydration set. Are there any symptoms that are still appearing? And if there are, that just gets us a little bit closer and closer to maybe pinpointing more specific assistance that the body needs. It sounds simple. It sounds stupid, right? But I just feel like we've we've missed a lot of these foundational things. I'm finding that almost every person is chronically, unintentionally 
dehydrated. And it's just, it means that they're just in a continuous state of their body being in that stress stressor mechanism or that inflammatory cascade ready to kick off at any minute. And Carrie, wouldn't, wouldn't that be secondary to this non-native EMF ocean we're swimming in these days? I mean, that leads to the dehydration, uh, which we can get to. But since you mentioned it, and that's kind of the next thing on the, the item list, so we hit light pretty hard. Now we're into water and, and hydration. And I know you're a, fr- a fan of hydrogen-rich water. Is that the same as electron-rich water? Yes and no. Hydrogen is a carrier of electrons, right? So yes, yes. Hydrogen, typically when water is considered electron-rich, it's because of the hydrogen, the amount of dissolved hydrogen in it. Absolutely. And so what are the benefits of that? So like, there's those machines that help produce that. Are you a fan of those? I do another mechanism. Listen, there are some very trustworthy hydrogen people out there who dove deep into this research who really are proponents of of the machines. I have not done a deep enough dive or use those personally into the machines themselves. But what I do know is that when the, the tablets are sufficient, perfect, perfectly sufficient in clinical practice. When 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 consumed appropriately, when when consumed in a glass of water, uh, you're dissolve. You're you're basically consuming the gas that bubbles up. What those tablets do is they create a super saturation. So the 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 argument is, well, a tablet can only dissolve, and this is nerdy, right, Mike? One about one point two ppm, right, or give give or take of hydrogen into the water. Um, And so these tablets that claim they're, they're they're raising at eight ppm are lying. That's it's true if you just let that dissolve and settle in. That's you're not going to get any more than you know 1.2, 1.6, somewhere in that range ppm. However, these tablets can temporarily elevate the molecular hydrogen called the supersaturation to a, a really therapeutic range, about three to four, up to eight. And so, if people can consume that volume of water in the time it takes for the bubbles to really be prolific in the glass, it's great. I've used it a lot for so many issues where I think people are just under a massive amount of oxidative stress and need the selective antioxidants. And high non-native EMF environment is a prime example of that. Um, it's my go-to for a lot of for a lot of my air travelers. It's a go-to for people who live or are in office places where they can't control the amount of wireless radiation that they're around. We have to just give them something like, basically it's free electrons that they can use very similar to earthing and grounding to calm the inflammatory status of the body that's being upregulated in those environments. So is that someone like you who's who's in great health is you would use that daily or on a pseudo consistent basis? I do. I like it. You know, I I started diving into the Molecular Hydrogen Institute's work and research probably about five years ago now. And they just keep coming out with more and more amazing research showing benefits, like really broad benefits to molecular hydrogen when it comes to all sorts of diseases. I mean, I think there's now over 1500 articles on molecular hydrogen. And so it just makes sense to me when I start to see articles like that and I start to understand the mechanism that that hydrogen is a gas that the body produces anyways on its own. And there's a reason why we're lacking our own production of hydrogen these days that maybe potentially supporting the body with hydrogen as, as an electron donor makes a lot of sense. And so, yeah, it just, it, again, clinically, it's one, maybe one of four or five supplements that I I have clients try if we think it's going to be therapeutic for their conditions. And so just to back up, like the, the, the benefits of this, like the hydrogen rich water, whether it's machine or tablet is the antioxidant 
proponent or reducing inflammation because you're potentially removing or changing an acidic environment internally more uh, neutral, if not alkaline, and all the benefits that come with that, correct? Yeah, that's part of it for sure. So, you you know, alkaline and acidic could be one way you look at it. I look at it as, as charge, voltage. The cells need a certain amount of voltage. It's measured It's measured with a, a negative sign in front of it because it needs to have electrons, right? It's, it's a, it needs negatively charged entities. So it's got to be really, really have a lot of electrons. And so I just view this as a means of maintaining the, the healthy charge of the interior of the cell, which then facilitates so many things like the ability to dissolve oxygen and nutrients into the cell. Uh, it facilitates things like the ability to um, uh, calm its own, the natural reactive oxygen species that are being produced all the time through metabolic processes. So yeah, you know, I mean, it really is a selective antioxidant as well. Meaning I'm not a fan of these uh, antioxidant supplementation where, where you're having massive amounts of, oh, you know, uh, vitamin C, vitamin, uh, you know, beta carotene, those sorts of things, because those are actually not selective in terms, they just are this broad antioxidant. And so when, when, when you look at the research and they apply broad antioxidants into groups of people for a long period of time, some, sometimes people get worse. Sometimes it actually, it actually harms people. Um, and it's, this is because we have to think about oxidants like as signaling molecules. These reactive oxidant, oxidation species are signaling molecules. You want the signal to still be getting to the DNA about what proteins need to be expressed. You want the signals to still get to the membrane and the immune system about what's happening inside of the cell. But uh, but you don't want it to overwhelm the repair, the antioxidant systems that are already built into the, the loops that are built into the cell themselves. So I look at molecular hydrogen as calming, but not suppressing the signal, calming the inflammation, but not suppressing the signal so that the, the cell can still uh, you know, signal what it needs to in order to resolve any inflammatory cascades that are happening. It's similar to nitric oxide, right? Where that's naturally produced in the body. It's a gas and it's it's a signaling molecule, but it's also an oxidant, right? Which an oxidant is an electron stealer, but it's kind of a catch-22 and it's electron stealer, but it's also a signaling molecule. Like to your point, you don't want to completely inhibit it, but you don't want it in excess in your body as well. And I think we were kind of saying the same thing in the sense that um, I'm saying alkaline environment, but you can't have a high voltage in an acidic environment. I mean, can you have a low voltage in an alkaline environment? I mean, those two kind of go hand in hand, right? They go hand in hand. You're saying the same thing. But then I, I'm very careful with alkaline and acidic because then the assumption is, oh, we can only eat these foods that have been classified as alkaline. And you have to recognize that each each individual component of the cell and various tissues have different amounts of acidity and alkalinity, like a stomach that was alkaline would be a disaster, right? We need a highly acidic environment in the stomach. Um, a a um, mitochondrial inner membrane space that was alkaline wouldn't would be horrible, right? We want a lot of those hydrogens to build up in there, the, uh, an acidic environment, if you will. And so I'm more careful about using alkaline and acidic because I think those words then imply foods we consume. And I'm talking more about the charge of different parts of the body. Totally, totally. I got you. Uh, but good clarification. Nonetheless, let's quickly move on to diluted seawater. What's that all about? <laughs> Listen, this has been a game changer for so many people, which is weird. I'm, this is where I'm like, people are really chronically dehydrated and they're losing these really key minerals. And so this work 
Oh, golly, you know, I mean, this work goes back to Rene Quinton, who, um, if anyone's familiar with Quinton minerals, this, what he realized was a certain blend of seawater, like a certain concentration of seawater and all the minerals that come from it mimics the blood plasma, almost exactly mimics the cerebrospinal fluid, is really important to maintain fluid and mineral balance in the interstitial space. And so, um, you know, I've been playing around with Quinton minerals with clients, but I once I actually started having them do even more and actually teaching them how to make their own isotonic solutions as well of water, which is just a specific concentration of water to sea salt. Um, really cool improvements are happening. Things like the people with the, the crazy histamine reactions are just not like allergies go away. Um, the, the, the blood pressure fluctuations you get with POTS, the uh, headaches and brain fog that you can get from elevated histamine in the brain, all of these things that were can be very debilitating are going away for people. So, and it, it just has to do with the fact that when you give the body the appropriate blend of water and minerals, it can shut down all of these inflammatory pathways. It can reestablish a healthy extracellular space. It can reestablish a healthy blood volume. Um, it can shut down histamine release all throughout the body and people just feel a heck of a lot better. That's amazing. And would you consider this a supplement or is this more foundational? Because again, we're kind of going back to mother nature in a sense, right? The ocean with Renee Quintone. It's the same as the ocean as is, is our blood, right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Mother nature is inside of us in a sense, right? hundred um, percent. Our, our internal ocean, right? Like we, we right. came from the sea and we carry it with us and we have to replenish it. And no, that, that that's a great way of putting it. And yeah, I, I have found that with people on this, it's like a rehydration trajectory. Um, so people who are very supremely dehydrated need to start small with it, build up more of this uh, isotonic seawater, Quinton isotonic style solution. And then they can slowly get off of it as well. And then just do a maintenance dose, which for, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the concept of Soleil water, but Soleil water is just a really strong dissolved salt water. You basically take a bunch of sea salt and mix it with water until you can't mix anymore. And then the maintenance dose for that. And that's a full blend of beautiful minerals and trace electrolytes, trace minerals, minerals. And so then the re- the rehydration strategy after someone has kind of gone through this seawater process is just take a teaspoon of that in, in a glass of water first thing in the morning, and then maybe, a, maybe another time or two throughout the day. And you're maintaining your hydration at that point. But yeah, the, the, uh, the fact that we're depleting water and minerals so much is very much um, because we live indoors, we're surrounded by non-native EMFs, which will not only mess with mitochondrial water production, but will also just shrink and diminish the, the beautiful gelled water inside of us, the exclusion zone water. And then, Mike, you know, unopposed blue light can directly inhibit cytochrome C oxidase. And so that's we're all that's what we have indoors, unopposed blue. And what I mean is that there's no red or infrared to support the water production or the viscosity of the water in the cells. So we're basically just jamming up the pathway that makes water inside of our cells. We're shrinking and diminishing that beautiful gelled water because of non-native EMFs. And we're making mitochondria even more dysfunctional because of the non-native EMFs as well. So we're, we're really just messing with our body's own water production process. And it's resulting in a lot of, uh, I, I think, chronic health issues. Yeah, you actually answered my question. I was going to ask you, what are the top instigators of dehydration and again, it's this this modern lifestyle we're living, right? And the answers you're given as far as the remedies are, again, are, are simple. 
going back to nature, uh, not expensive, right? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't make a ton of money giving these recommendations, Mike. <laughs> That's the thing. You're not a supplement company. You're not like selling the these gadgets, um, which is funny coming from me selling red light therapy products. But like, you are literally bringing people back to nature, back to foundation making people their own doctors, essentially, right? And that's what's beautiful about what you do. Last topic, since we're in the in the latter third of our time here, magnetism. Um, and this one's interesting. And I've actually been reporting a lot on this in different ways in, in this uh, podcast the last month or two. So I'd just love to hear from you. Let's just start right off the bat. Magnetism. What does that mean? Like, what is its impact on our health? And then we'll we'll kind of break down some more detailed stuff after that. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a it's a huge topic right there. But we separate right when we talk. It's really common and just normal, normal. This isn't a normal conversation, but for us, right, it's a normal conversation um, to separate like electrons and magnetism or electric flow and magnetism. But they're they're kind of like polarities of the same thing. And so what you have to recognize is anytime we're looking to flow electrons or move electrons, we're generating magnetic fields. And so the the name of the, and that's kind of like at the small scale of the body, anytime there's anything moving or rotating in the body, such as the ATPase inside the mitochondria, creates a magnetic field. And what a magnetic field is, is it's a draw, it's a pull, just like magnets can, you know, two sides of the, or opposite sides of the magnet will stick together. It's a pull for various um, nutrients or, 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 or yeah, basically, you know, gases like oxygen to go and get distributed where they need to in the body. And so you can't separate magnetism and electron flow. They're doing the same thing. If the electrons are flowing strongly through the mitochondria, that's a magnetic field that's bringing oxygen to that site. If the ATPase is functioning very smoothly and really is spinning, that's a magnetic flow that's pulling electrons to the site and then oxygen to the site. So it's all it all works hand in hand. So we can't separate the two. I do want to say that first. You know, what I want to talk about, what I've been really interested in with magnetism actually has to do with what I would say beneficial magnetic fields. And it's underappreciated, I think, what, what magnetism really does for the body. Earth's magnetic field excites our electrons, which means it's like, it's almost like supplemental light, right? It helps electrons get excited, which they get to jump to another state or another energy level, if you will, and which, which gives energy to the system. It donates energy to the system to facilitate all of our biochemical processes. And so I feel like we're just, while Earth's magnetic field is huge, no joke, right? Don't get me wrong. Research has shown that even tiny, tiny, low-level artificial magnetic fields are disruptive in different processes. A lot of this disruption is shown in the developmental process, the development of an embryo or an embryo not developing the correct characteristics. Let's say, let's say a Drosophila or a, or a larvae, right, not developing the correct characteristics because of exposure to artificial magnetic fields. And so that just begs the question. What is our exposure to artificial magnetic fields really doing fundamentally to kind of mess with what our body really wants is designed to do? And so to simplify this, I tell people to get away from the artificial magnetic fields as much as possible and to get into nature, to touch the bare earth 
or touch earth with bare skin for electrons to flow in, that electron flow is magnetism. Those electrons go around the red blood cells. That that repulsion of the red blood cells away from each other to support blood flow, that's magnetism. And then lastly, I'm recognizing there is so much energy stored in the field of, or so much information stored in the field of energy around us called our biofield, or it's also, and, and the biggest biofield we have is the biofield of our heart, right? What are, how our heart extends out that I, I, I truly believe that gene expression, that um, longevity genes, that just overall home, bringing the body overall into homeostasis is really reliant on the magnetic fields that we generate from the heart less the thought, more the heart. So I'm getting clients to try to get into more of a heart-centered, you know, woo-woo, get into your heart, get into your feelings. But we truly see this, this kind of homeostatic coherence that happens when people are more thoughtful, more loving, more gratitude, more joyful, and just more mindful of that. It can, it can influence things in such a profound way. That's, that's magnetism in a nutshell. Yeah. Dr. Joe Dispenza, right? With his meditation and like you said, heart uh, from the heart. In emotions, and I've been reading the last couple of books I've read have kind of touched on this. The most recent one, this is kind of an older book, but the PEMF Fifth Element by Bryant Myers, which has yeah. a little bit of quantum in it. I mean, it's, it's an interesting book. Physics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the impact, like you spoke to, of, of the earth, we have the, is it the geomagnetic frequencies from below mm-hmm. us and the Schumann resonances from above? Mm-hmm. It, what role that plays? But regardless, um, and you can talk on that if you want in a moment here, but it seems like we have the same culprits affecting different aspects or different layers of our health. We already talked about dehydration, and now we're talking about magnetism and how we live in houses and walk on rubber-soled shoes, so we're never connected to the earth and we're never in nature. And now we're talking about emotions and the effect that can have literally on you, on you at the cellular level. What does a person do fundamentally to upgrade their magnetism i mean you touch on it kind of with like from the heart we can go down the meditation rabbit hole um it's hard meditation is more of an advanced technique i think for a lot of people especially people who are on maybe a chronic illness journey because typically with these these long um you know healing journeys there can be a lot of trauma in the healing process alone. It's like you really think this is going to be the route that's going to heal you and it makes you worse or, you know, and so there's a huge amount of nervous system dysregulation as well that happens. And I find it really hard for, for, for people to jump right into meditation as, as their, as their go-to for this. But I don't think it's challenging for people to just express more gratitude it could be thanking the bird for flying by, right? <laughs> it could be, you know, just expressing gratitude for the food or the water or whatever, what you're consuming. It could be, um, you know, thanking someone for holding the door open for you. Gratitude goes a long way in, in terms of how it resonates with the heart. And it also goes a long way. This is Masaru Emoto's work in terms of how it provides coherent energy to structure the water in our bodies. Um, and so we, the, we, we want to be in the state of organization and coherence and the body designed to do that when we give it the correct inputs. We're just so far from giving it the correct inputs these days. We kind of got to go back to back to the basics. And so uh, this is this is no joke, but if someone can find two hours barefoot in nature, just even sitting under a tree, expressing gratitude for all of the things it sees, that bee, that butterfly, that ant, that breeze, you know, 
it's, it's crazy, but it's actually a very, very powerful way to get the magnetism and the coherence from that heart centered space. And then all the additional benefits you get from being in a, in a natural setting, such as that from the, the there's infrasonic resonance frequencies you get from wind and moving water and bird song. I mean, it, it's a, it's beyond a healing environment that we just don't put any, I don't know, people, people would rather have a device, right? People would rather have a device and, and some devices are great. And I really, I mean, my go-to device for people is red light therapy, Mike, that's not just blown smoke, but, um, but if, but I think that even that has to be balanced. I even think that even people who are using red light therapy appropriately still need to once a week, if possible, get into a green space just like that and express some gratitude. 1000%. I agree. And part of that, just as you were speaking, made me think of like, Getting out of nature is like kind of getting, not only are you getting the benefits of nature, but you're removing the the negative attributes of non-native eating. It's like an elimination diet, right? It's not necessarily the diet or the food that you're directly eating. It's the fact that you're eliminating all of the garbage. So you kind of get the double whammy, so to speak. Well um, said. Yeah. Yeah. And and I totally agree with you. Red light therapy and, and devices are cool. And, and you know people kind of want the proverbial pill to make them better without having to necessarily put in the effort. Um, but something as simple as gratitude, yeah, it's massive in, in the uh, downstream effects just from simply doing that. Even a couple of minutes in the morning, a couple of minutes in the evening on a consistent basis can be pretty massive. And I hate to keep going down the product path, but like, what are your thoughts on PEMF mats and like the potential they have for someone who's like, you know, the busy life or they're just like, they're going to sit down and watch TV or sit down and read a book. And it's something that could potentially have a healing benefit. I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I'm asked this one a lot in like my private group and stuff. And my answer is going to be pretty lame. I don't have enough experience on knowing the mechanisms, the different way, the different patterns or the frequencies. I just don't know enough about it. When I read someone like Bryant Meyer's book, it's a really fascinating book. Like it's honestly a PEMF, like I said, is not something that I really study a ton, but it's, it's a fascinating topic. I do know that I have clients who have gone to practitioners who recommended PEMF devices and they experienced life-changing things, right? They really lowered pain and inflammation. Um, so I'm, I can't say one way or the other, yes or no on those. I, I have an open mind still. Um, but what I do know and what I think with, is if anyone's interested in, in what Bryant's book that we're talking about is that he really references the pulsed electromagnetic fields of the earth itself right? Yep. Like you said, that Schumann resonance, that magnetic field of the earth, all of these things are things that really are the pulsed magnetic fields that we're meant to tap into. And that there are some devices just like red light therapy can help someone who's really deficient in sunlight and, and the infrared and the red light spectrum, uh, but it doesn't replace it. So my mind is open. I, I, I'm interested if anyone wants to reach out and give me more information, I'll, I'll learn more. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it can't be a broad recommendation for me simply because I don't have the experience. Totally, totally understood. What about grounding, indoor grounding um, mechanisms? Um, just purely from the sense that if you're grounding, that alone is an anti-non-native EMF uh, tactic, so to speak. So for someone like me, I'm in front of a computer way too much. Um, I'm indoors, like whether it's reading a book, um, especially in the winter months, to have something that could potentially mitigate the EMFs, again, this isn't like the solution uh, for grounding, but do you see that as a viable tactic for anti-EMFs? Yes and no, okay? Because it depends on the grounding product, right? The quality does matter and the recognition of the company 
of the fact that you're you have a conductive surface that you're asking someone to put their body on does that conductive surface have the ability to conduct stray voltages like you know dirty electricity if you will so um so in in theory it's it, it's a possibility and i've actually seen it be beneficial for several clients i actually have one underneath my desk myself right now um, but there's caveats with that are, are you even plugging it into a grounded outlet um, are you, can you even better take it out the window with a, an actual grounding cord and put a stake in the earth and do it that way? What's the material being used that you're grounding on, you know, in terms of its ability to conduct stray voltage. So the only brand I'll throw, I'll throw her name out there. The only brand I can recommend is Laura Conover through intuition position. I feel like she really understands all of those aspects and her products are just beautiful. And I have had clients utilize them. Absolutely. Especially ones who, like you said, can't get outside, you know, I've had a lot of clients who haven't been able to get outside this summer because of wildfire smoke. It, it's been, you know, very detrimental. They've got breathing challenges and it just really exacerbates them. So we, we have, we have said, okay, let's, let's see if you can use this as a support instead. And it's, it's proving to be beneficial. So yeah, I think there's options for that. But again, this doesn't call my parasympathetic nervous system the way going out and grounding in nature does. And so we, we do have to recognize, I just, I love, I love to have to put those caveats. It's just not a replacement, but it's a beautiful support. Absolutely. That's a good way to phrase it. Like I wouldn't use, I'm on one as well since I'm in front of the computers and all this crap, but yeah, this is not my grounding mechanism. It's more of like a protective or like hopefully mitigating EMFs, but the grounding is outside. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I know we're getting short on, on time here, Carrie, but you did mention the biofield and I've been reading books like one on like tuning forks. I forget her name. Oh yeah. I love her books. Yeah. yeah. She's, you, yeah. she's brilliant. Yeah. Love those books. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the biofield and being able to enhance that or upgrade it, so to speak. Um, after reading her books, and I've been doing some body talk mm, cool. myself. So also like tapping into my biofield and listening to the practitioner talk about me she knows nothing about me and she's not speaking in generalizations she's spot on and like she's making changes in my biofield and like you can feel it that same day or the next day it's it's wild so I'd, with whatever time we have left what are your thoughts on those types of modalities where you're trying to enhance your biofield which to my understanding it's like it goes out to six feet either side of you and like two three to two to three feet above two to three feet below and this is how kind of our bodies almost interact with each other, especially when we're in the same room close to each other, like our biofields um, do have a an effect on each other. But regardless, what are your thoughts on things that are touted to enhance or alter your biofield? Because you're essentially using frequencies, right? And I, I believe you're about frequency healing. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, I, I am a big fan of Eileen's work and that type. I love the the body talk. I, I think that we, the biofield really is an up and coming science that I have to give credit to Beverly Rubick for all of her research that she's, you know, very controversial. Um, but basically what that, but the biofield is like you described this energy flow, this toroidal energy flow around us that has been known, listen, we got to honor ancient wisdom first, right? It's This has been called various things, the aura, the etheric body, energy body. I mean, it's been called a lot of different things as well um, that was spot on with ancient wisdom. And now we're just recognizing that we, through various mechanisms like a tuning fork, can sense when the biofield is out of resonance. It's almost like out of tune and we can tune it back into the right free harmonizing frequencies of the body. So I view the biofield as 
an energetic duplicate of the uh, the information and energy inside of my body. And it's like, as it's flowing in, it's, it's, you know, providing that coherent organization. Yep. This is, this is the nervous system state. This is, you know, the state of Carrie's mitochondria. This is digestion. It's, and we're just continually cycling through this, this energy and information. And when that energy that's cycling into us is coherent um, and there's no gaps or there's no fuzziness, then it's just reinforcing homeostasis. But when, just like when there's potentially um, uh, something's out of tune in the body. So for example, a scar, right? A scar, a deep scar can kind of prevent electron flow and maybe, or, or a chemical can get situated in the body and provide a chaotic resonance that can disturb the tissue in the same way a physical chemical or physical entity could do that in the physical body an energetic distortion in the biofield can do that as well. And what was really fascinating, Mike, and this will probably be the last thing, one of the latest things that I had heard from her, um, from Beverly's work was that having a cell phone go, and, and actually having a cell phone in your hand going off actually created distortions in the biofield and created kind of, some, kind of some chaotic resonance in the biofield. So I mean, like, I saw, sorry, everyone. I don't want to, I don't have a depressing note, but like we, we really truly are living in a, in a world in an environment where we're doing things to, to, to mess with the physical body, mess with the energetic body. And, uh, it can be as simple as, you know, putting yourself out on the other side of the room. And not just what you spoke about, but also emotional trauma is stored in your biofield. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I think is highly overlooked or undervalued is our emotional trauma in ways that we can heal that with these different types of frequency healing. Yeah, you know, let me, can I add that? Cause I do, that's, that needs to be stated. You're absolutely right. While I lay the the foundation of quantum health, I have found that the most synergistic aspect, like to support quantum health and to support one's healing journey is something that involves working with the emotional trauma, nervous system regulation, um, clearing the, these sorts of the, the, these various potential traumas, whether they're known or unknown, um, that is so synergistic. And I think it, because it does work on that frequency level of the biofield. 1000%. Um, Carrie, I know we're at the end of the, the road here. Do you want to speak on the practitioner membership program at all? Or, or just on top of that, if you want to tell tell the audience where people can learn more uh, from you and about you and, and follow you. Yeah, sure. So, you know, my hub is Instagram still, right? You know, I, like you said, I post a bunch of stuff there throughout the week. I've got a private community as well. You can go to carriebwellness.com and see all the offerings that I have, the various courses that I have taught. Um, if you're a practitioner and you want to dive into this stuff for your clientele, then you there's the um, there's actually a certification now through the Institute of Applied Quantum Biology where I'm a lead faculty member. Go there and go through their certification program. It lays out all of this stuff in a very clear, concise, app, clinically applicable way. Um, it's a great community of practitioners. And then from those practitioners, I actually open up, um, I have a mentorship program as, with me, right, as a practitioner mentorship. So if you're a graduate of that program, then there's a, a 10-week mentorship with me to really kind of like, let's view these clients that you see from this lens and work with them to get them to their best health possible. That's absolutely amazing. So, but again, Carrie, thank you for your time. Thank you for your education. Keep doing what you're doing because I I learn as much as anyone from from your post and from your education. So thank you. Thanks, Mike. Great chatting with you. We have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. So for Carrie Bennett, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off of the Red Light Report. You guys have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, 
wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.